Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, the number one show at 5 o'clock, Cats at Night. And we have a great show for you today. You're going to have a lot of things you're going to find out that even the KGB tunes in to find out what's going on from our, from our show. Don't forget Chinese intelligence. And Chinese intelligence. I've, I've Look, the next day, it's in the uh, Chinese papers and the Russian papers. And page six. And page <laughs> six, of course. The New York Post always listens. And, and, and we got Judge Weinberg in the studio, Ed Cox in the studio, former, you were a ranger or airborne? Airborne. Airborne, airborne all the way. And... Um, and uh, Governor, uh, Governor David, Patterson. David Patterson, of course, and Lydia Serrano. What's going on today? Well, we have some breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. And the person with that breaking news is investigative reporter extraordinaire John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. John Solomon, what do you have for us? Oh, there's a lot of breaking news happening on Capitol Hill. Just a few minutes ago, the Senate voted to approve legislation that will impose a, uh, a, a resolution in the uh, a rail strike. It's going to avert the rail strike. Unions will have to take this deal. This is a unique part of labor law where rail unions have a different treatment of the law. So we have averted what would have been a very economically damaging rail strike. But the fallout from this vote is going to be difficult Unions are very much angry at Democrats allowing this to happen. Uh, 20 years ago, Joe Biden was on the opposite side of a debate like this. They feel betrayed, and it'll be interesting to see how that carries into the next election cycle. Unions mad at this, but for the good of the nation right now, there is not going to be a rail strike during the holidays. That's the big breaking news out of Washington right now. That's good news. Now, uh, Arizona, they've called the election or they haven't called the election. What's going on in Arizona? Yes, well, uh, most counties have certified the elections, some under duress. We have a wonderful story this morning where Katie Hobbs, who is the governor-elect in Arizona, sent a letter to a county that didn't want to certify the results saying, if you don't certify me the winner, I'm going to throw you in jail. You're going to be charged with a felony, kind of a strong-arm tactic. But um, there are, in the final stages of certification, there are a couple holdout counties, and the state must certify after the counties. And at that point, the lawsuits will then be germane meaning just candidates like Terry Lake and Abe Hamaday, who's the attorney general nominee for Republicans, they're going to sue and challenge the results. They've been unable to do that until the state certifies. That's a couple days off. The counties are in the final stages of certifying. And like I said, there's a couple small counties holding out and some counties that did vote to certify, but said they did so under duress. But Arizona has been a mess since 2012. We've had 10 consecutive years of elections where every general election, there's a controversy and 2022 didn't disappoint us. Wow. Uh, Any gut feeling what the truth is over there? Do you think there's problems that we don't know about? Well, we know historically there have been consistently the same problems. Difficulty with machines working, uh, difficulty with printers working, uh, long delays in counting uh, early and uh, provisional ballots, and then a large number of provisional ballots. These go all the way back to 2012. We had a fun story earlier this week. And back in 2012, 2014, and 2016, it was the Democrats 
in the mainstream media that were calling crying foul. In fact, the, the Arizona Republic once called Maricopa County the embarrassment of America because it couldn't count votes. And now the tables are turned. Now it's conservative Republicans that are raising questions about Arizona and Democrats in the mainstream media saying, oh, stop your whining. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the same problems have persisted for a decade in Maricopa County. Uh, not a good record if you're in Arizona for election integrity. Uh, next, uh, Wisconsin lawmakers. Uh, I understand that uh, military ballots were 80% below expectations. What does that mean? Well, yes, this is uh, uh, State Assemblywoman Branchen, Janelle Branchen. She has been a clarion voice on election integrity issues in Wisconsin, the sponsor of some of the legislation designed to clean up Wisconsin election law, the litigant in some efforts to sue and win in the courts over improper uh, electoral practices. She noticed something interesting. The number of military absentee ballots cast in 2022 were 80% lower, 80% lower than they were just two years ago. Now, there's always a drop off between a presidential and a uh, midterm election, but not 80%. And so she's asking some very hard questions, which is, was there some funny business in 2022, meaning military ballots have just not been counted, they were thrown out or missing? Or was there a fake number of military ballots in 2020 uh, and inflated the number because of some shenanigans? And the reason she's raising this question is just before Election Day, a city worker in Milwaukee secretly sent her three uh, military ballots filled out and cast that were fake soldiers. They did not exist. And this whistleblower allegedly did this to show how easy it is to defraud votes in Wisconsin when it comes to military ballots. Uh, Assemblywoman Branchen brought this to the police. People have been arrested over it or or threatened with being charged. But uh, she's been concerned about the integrity of military ballots and an 80% drop. Well, that's a red flag for just about anyone who counts ballots. And switching gears, uh, John Solomon, you know, the Biden administration, day one, he cut he cut down the Keystone pipeline. There's been this war, war mm-hmm. on fossil fuels. And now the Environmental Protection Agency has quietly quadrupled regulatory costs of carbon emissions, again, waging war on the fossil fuel industry. Tell us all about this, because I think a lot of Americans don't know what's going on because the administration says one thing and then they're quietly doing another. Yeah, well, this is a really interesting story because, uh, one, not even people in the in the energy industry knew until we discovered this. This was very quietly done. It was a document dropped in a rulemaking process in a very arcane area of law. Uh, but about two weeks ago, the uh, EPA came out and said, uh, we believe the uh, net effect of carbon emissions in the country is four times what Barack Obama originally told us in 2009. This is a, 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 a statistic known as the social cost of carbon. It's completely invented, by the way. Congress never passed a law saying create a social cost of carbon. Uh, it is something that's currently being challenged in the courts. But if this social cost of carbon is allowed to stand. Uh, it has now quadrupled from $51 for every cubic foot of carbon dioxide put into the um, atmosphere to $200 or $190 for every cubic foot. Now, it all sounds like gobbledygook now, but if these figures are allowed to stand and they're implemented, the next time there are pollution regulations, these figures will be used to impose fines and penalties on industries, which will then be passed on to you and I, the consumer who uses gas or heating oil or other carbon fossil fuel uh, products. And so we went to 
the Oil and Natural Gas Association and said, listen, if these numbers are allowed to stand, what happens to a gallon of gas? And they did some calculations, came back and said, these regulations, this, this new statistical um, uh, creation that the EPA put out, could add as much as $2 per every gallon of gas you buy, uh, $2.5 for diesel, a significant amount of money already being added on to a bill that we're already unhappy with because it's been rising. The uh, Biden administration is relentlessly trying to find ways to price fossil fuels out of the market. And the social cost of carbon is one of those new tools they're using. Here's the big thing. Next week, in the Fifth Circuit, the U.S. Court of Appeals, in the middle of America, there is a court case working its way through, probably going to get to the Supreme Court, challenging the constitutionality of this whole concept because Congress never passed it. It's something that was created by a president out of executive fiat. We'll see where that stands when it gets through the court system. Well, thank you so much, uh, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. Did you want to ask him one more question? I, just last question, real fast. we got about 30 seconds left. Uh, pressure builds uh, over Apple and its crackdown of uh, Chinese protesters. Is Apple going to have a problem? They do. A lot of lawmakers in, in Congress, including I interviewed one of them today, Marsha Blackburn, very angry that Apple took away one of the technologies in China at the request of the government so that uh, people couldn't communicate with the others during these protests. Another example that American companies are trying to help Chinese type censorship. Is Apple blocking. trying to do that to Twitter? Well, it uh, looks like there was a misunderstanding is what uh, uh, we learned from Elon Musk that whatever the report was, it wasn't true. He and Apple's uh, Tim uh, Cook have kissed and made up and there's no imminent threat Good. that Twitter will be thrown out of the. I'm uh, glad to yeah. hear it. Well, thank you again, John <laughs> Solomon, for always bringing us the latest and greatest news. Thank you and uh, God bless. Good to be with you guys. Well, we're back. And that was some interview. And uh, Curtis Lewa has walked in, who has knowledge of some uh, New York elections. And that's going to be interesting. Well, Curtis, we just got off with John Solomon. And there's two elections in California, two congressional elections that they're still looking for votes to uh, uh, maybe they're importing them from Philadelphia or something <laughs> or Chicago. Uh, and uh, and in, in Arizona, there's arguments about uh, the governor elect has threatened to arrest. Uh, who was it? Uh, the local officials. The local officials were not counting or certifying, certifying the, vote. the election. Uh, the military yeah. votes in Wisconsin, 80% of the military votes. It's 80% below the last uh, military vote. So there's something rotten in, in Wisconsin. Curtis, I heard you talking about there's an assembly race in Brooklyn, in New York that there's still a problem about, and is it a, there's another one with a guy named Sullivan. Tell us about them, and we got Ed Cox and the judge and the governor to, to, to talk about it, too. Go ahead. Both these assembly races were won by the Republican candidates, Tom Sullivan and the Rockaways. Uh, he's a war hero, served uh, in Iraq, Afghanistan, rescued people from 9-11, uh, and he won by 300 votes over the uh, sitting uh, assemblywoman named Pfeiffer. Uh, They went to court. There were 96 disputed ballots that both the Republicans and Democrats said have to be rejected because the absentee ballots were not filled out right. And the mother, Audrey Pfeiffer, who used to sit in the assembly, who Governor Patterson knows, is the county clerk. And she goes, oh, no, we're, we're bringing it to the state Supreme Court. And they were in the state Supreme Court today trying to cure the ballots and take the election away from Tom Sullivan. That's strike one. The more egregious Lester Chang in Brooklyn, Asian-American, uh, 
wins a contest against Peter Abate Jr. 53-47. It's over. Now, all of a sudden, the Democrats in the Assembly have said that they will not permit Lester Chang to sit. They will block him if necessary because they said that he was registered in Chinatown in Manhattan and not in that Brooklyn district. And you say to yourself, not only is he a war hero serving two tours tours in Afghanistan, but on the 9-11 commemoration, he's standing there in his Navy whites. His adversary, Peter Abate Jr., has been there 36 years, says to the crowd, oh, I see Lester showed up early for Halloween. Oh, my God. He said that? In public. Chastised. And yet this guy has rounded up all of his other Democratic colleagues. And Carl Hastie has the power to block him from being seated because they question whether he lived in the district or not. Now, he was from Chinatown. His wife died three years ago. He went to live with his mother in Brooklyn, which is the house he was born in. He went to Midwood High School. She has dementia. He was her primary health care giver. Please. This is an Asian-American. We're trying to promote minorities, right? Running for office, especially Asians and so winning. He so Curtis, in his and, he, and he, he was living in the district. Yes, in Brooklyn. Yeah, in the house that he was born in. Born in and t- taking care of his 95-year-old mother with dementia. Everybody knows that. But the Democrats have decided, nope, we are going to block, physically block him if he tries to take a seat after January 1st. So, Curtis, uh, back in 1965, and I think... You and I remember this, I hope others do, that Adam Clayton Powell was expelled from Congress and they had a special election after he was expelled. He ran in the special election and took his seat back. Won't um, this gentleman be able to do the same thing? Yeah, but but, he lives there already. He lives in his mother's house. No, I'm, I'm saying if they bar him and they then... Have a special election. Yeah, the governor would have to call for a special election. He could then run in the special election. But why didn't they object before he had his address on the petitions to qualify? Nobody said anything. That's when you're supposed to object. And if the petitions go in, even if later information is, is, you know, discerned that uh, there was some impropriety, it's too late. Sometimes it's too late. Saw losers, Governor David Patterson. They lost. 36 years in the assembly. He's a, he's a poster child, Peter Abate Jr., for term limits. Go go get a job hanging wallpaper. Get a real job. The problem is that, <laughs> that Hasty can do what he wants to do yes. because he's got a supermajority. That's yes. the problem. Yes. That, he can do that, whatever that, he wanted. Mm-hmm. And there is a provision. Final. Absolute power corrupts, corrupts absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could be a case for the... Supreme Court of the United States? No. <laughs> it won't go there. Right? No. It's a, a case that uh, go into the state Judge? Supreme go into the state Supreme Court after they refuse to seat them. Depends where they'll bring the action, whether they bring it in Albany or they bring it in the city. And they'll try to get to supersede. The court will say the legislative body is the judges of their own own processes and they'll back the they'll back the state legislature in not uh, not seating him. That's that's exactly what's going well, on. Well, Curtis, stay on top of this one. Keep keep us informed, and uh, because you know, it sounds like common sense is they should give the man the assembly seat. I mean, think of it, John. These aren't just candidates; they're war heroes. They served our country in war, and in these two cases, the Democrats are saying, oh, "Thank you for serving us in war," but guess what? We're taking your seat. 
We're taking your seat on technicalities. One last thing, Curtis. Where are his opponents contending that he actually lives? Chinatown. He had a residence three years ago on Rivington Street. His wife passed away, and then he moved in with his mother to take care of her. And this is Lester Chang. In, in does the Brooklyn he still have, Assembly Is seat. he still paying the rent in the... Yeah, well, he has both apartments. So they're saying, oh, your have. primary apartment is in Chinatown. Wow. The law's little, it's both simple and complicated. The law says you can have more than one residence as long as you have real At indicia. Least one. As long as no, as long as you have indicia with respect to yeah, one, you I, can pick I, one. What I would do is get all my neighbors from my mother's house and certify that I'm I'm living there. That's exactly right. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. In studio with us, Governor David Patterson, Ed Cox, Judge Richard Weinberg, and of course, John Katz Matidis. And on the line with us right now, Dr. Peter Mikolos, who has always some breaking news revelations specifically on the medical front today. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Dr. Mikolos. Great to be with you guys. And tonight I'm going to talk about the uncompassionate side of bail reform as it relates to the medical system, the strain on the healthcare system and our emergency rooms. And it's becoming a public health issue. And one of the things that's happening that nobody talks about in the old days when people got arrested, they went to the medical system through Rikers Island. And we picked up cases of uh, TB, gonorrhea, syphilis. And I was talking to physician friends who are working in the emergency rooms and public health emergency rooms. And they're seeing now cases of TB. They're seeing cases of chlamydia, herpes, syphilis, gonorrhea. But it's not only for those accused of crimes or people who are arrested. They're also seeing other people and interacting with other people. So it's becoming a public health issue because it's spreading disease. So I'm saying that it's not compassionate the way the current bail reform is. We need to give judges back the discretion on degree of dangerousness and be able to give these people the proper medical and psychiatric care. The psychiatric ERs are overwhelmed. They can't really handle it. And these people uh, need to get medication. And the problem is that nobody talks about years ago when they closed down all the uh, inpatient facilities and they put people in outpatient their non-compliance issue. They didn't think how high it was going to be because the street drugs and street pharmacists are making people feel better. So that's what's competing with the medication. So people are seeking out drugs and it creates this vicious cycle. The other thing is other communicable diseases. When you have people urinating and defecating in the streets, things are not going to go well long-term when you have uh, children, your pets and dogs walking around the streets. So we need to address this issue also as a public health issue. And Dr. Mikolos, the rat problem, that's also it contributes to the rat problem that we're seeing. And then rats also spread the disease. I know New York City, they're looking to hire a rat czar. So this is all kind of interconnected. And so what do we do about it? Well, we have to start off with uh, bail reform law change, giving judges back the discretion to be able to hold people to get the proper help that they need so that we can get people not defecating, urinating in the street, and also eating. When you set up these little homeless tents on the street, there's food in there, there and it's attracting rats. Instead of the food being in a restaurant or in, a, in any type of even a fast food place, they're out on the street, and this attracts things like rats. So you have to clean up, start. It's basically basic sanitary conditions. And that's part of a modern city and modern society. That's how we reduce disease, access to clean water and clean streets, 
clean sewage, all these things will uh, help improve the condition. And some of these people were not being compassionate because I just spoke to a physician who deals with prison health stuff and told me that the number of COVID, undiagnosed cancers, the cellulitis, and a, a record number of jaw fractures because the homeless are also victims because they're being assaulted too. It's not just some of the mentally ill who are assaulting people, they're also being assaulted. They're also being victims. So all these uh, jaw fractures and, and other types of trauma that they're seeing and stabbings and slashings, it's overwhelming the ER and that's affecting uh, any one of us might be going to the emergency room with a relative who has a heart attack or a stroke, but the doctors are sitting there dealing with all these other cases and it's overwhelming our system and we need to address that. But those are some of the ways to do it. And on Rikers Island, we talked about making it more efficient, bringing the court system to Rikers Island so that we don't have to lose manpower off the island, putting the inpatient psych unit right on Rikers Island and the outpatient facility. So they just walk over, get the therapy need, the help they need, and uh, also vocational programs where people can learn, take a handyman course, a landscaping course, like they do out in the Suffolk County jails and help people get back into society. But without health, uh, it's, it's a big problem, and it's not only affecting those who are arrested, but it's affecting the rest of us. And we're gonna be seeing a lot of old diseases like TB, which are on the rise again in New York. So if the jails are, Dr. Miklos Edcox, so if the jails are, 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 are established around the, in the various counties and uh, Rikers Island is closed, does that make it better or worse as a problem? Oh, it's going to be much worse. You're going to have a traffic nightmare, a parking nightmare, and you're going to have these facilities that instead of having one strong center and having the health care in one strong center and being able to treat people, especially if they have different uh, communicable diseases, it's better. Throughout ancient history, when you read uh, when they had TB, they put people on islands for a reason. And it's more cost effective to have everything centralized instead of everything being spread all over the city. It's going to cause all kinds of issues. The centralization is the way you save money instead of having to transport people to court. And it's also the more effective delivery of, uh, of health care by having it centralized. More effective delivery of health care and also efficient. For, think about how much overtime every time you, in every borough you have to transport an inmate for a simple arrangement to see a judge. Instead of having it centralized, it's just going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be wasted billions of dollars in taxpayer money, and it's not going to improve the, the, the health of the community. And also when people have visitation, and uh, and go into these prisons and 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 even the uh, correction officers they're being exposed to for example TB and they don't even know it until someone gets proper assessment but with this current uh, turnstile bail reform uh, laws if someone has TB you're exposing three four officers then they bring it home to their families so what we really need to do is get back to the basics and take care of people and be compassionate and how we deal with people and get them the help they need. And the whole fentanyl and drug crisis is a whole nother issue. The ERs are being filled with all these young kids now with marijuana psychosis from these gummies and brownies and all these stores. It's going to be a, a real issue, and we're going to be hearing a lot more about that in the next few years. So which of all the, all the drugs are, is predominant in the ER rooms now? 
they're seeing a lot by volume in the young people, a lot of marijuana psychosis. You know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the fentanyl people, they're not ending up in the ER, they're ending up in the morgue. That's why we have 100,000 dead, because fentanyl basically is so powerful that you stop breathing. One of the problems was when they started this iStop program where you can't just go to different doctors and get your prescription uh, oxycodone, you've turned to the street pharmacist. The problem is that you don't know what the dose is, whereas before you did. So people are taking a certain milligrams. It's not unknown what milligram it is, and then it basically you stop breathing. And a lot of times when people do drugs together, they panic when they see someone not breathing. They don't want to be arrested or deal with the police. And they actually, cases where people walk out on their own friends and just let them there asphyxiate and they just die. Well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Peter Mihalos. You're gonna, I understand you're going to call in again on Sunday, the Cats Roundtable, and uh, you'll have more revelations then, and we'll catch up with you then. Thank you so much. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. The NYPD Commissioner Sewell announcing the retirements of four NYPD executives. Those uh, three retiring chiefs are Chief of Transit, Chief of Housing, Chief of Special Operations, and as well as the department's Deputy Commissioner of Support Services. So this goes obviously in line with what you were saying, John Katzmatzidis, yeah, what you heard from a source. Yesterday. Correct. Uh, so we had the WABC had it 24 hours ahead of time. Yes, you did. And you're hearing this is not the end of it. Or no? I hear that there may be more coming. Oh, boy. Stay tuned. So keep it Stay right here, tuned. WABC, for news you won't hear anywhere else. You, you heard it here first. Okay, now on the line for us, we got Paul Lunsis. He began his investment career working for Royce and Associates. He founded Lunsis Asset Management. I could go on and on. And he's an expert when it comes to what, what would I what would I say you're an expert in? Asset management, making money, making money, telling us what to invest, where to invest our money, preserving capital and then trying to make money. That's it. That's what we have to do. So tell us um, the stock market crash that Bank of America warns. Or is that true? You know, uh, at, at the end of the day, so much of the stock market and the economy, but particularly the stock market, the centerpiece of all that is really the Federal Reserve. Fed has raised rates 75 basis points four times, the most recent November 2nd. He spoke again on Wednesday, Chairman Powell. He also, if you read the minutes, the minutes come out three weeks after the last meeting in November. He basically said he's probably got, they're probably going to raise rates on December 14th, 50 basis points rather than 75. Did he specifically say 50 or he said he's going to be less? He said he's, it, it indicated, John, from what he said, that 50 basis points is really where they're leaning. They don't need they're not going to need. He said they may not need to raise them as high as they have the last four times. Um, and so it's probably going to be 50 basis points. And as a result, uh, late Wednesday, after that was announced, the market went crazy. The Dow was up 700 points, four or five. I mean, everything went crazy. But what's really more important is the continuing rate increases into 23. How much is inflation going to continue? Is it going to stick around? Are they really having an impact? They very well could, and there's a lag effect. So how much are rates going to continue to rise? And then more importantly, for how long? Because my feeling is if rates continue to rise and they get to 5% plus and they stay there, 
for a protracted period, the economy's really going to be in trouble given the debt levels, particularly at the corporate and government levels. And they're they're going to cause the, the Fed is going to cause a problem that doesn't have to happen. I mean, you know, John, their their mandate is price stability and maximum employment. And it's a real challenge now because, you know, they said that inflation was transitory and thus far it's proven not to be. So they're in a real conundrum. And combined with the fact that they're raising rates, there's also the quantitative tightening, the $99 trillion balance sheet that's now down to 8.6. They're reducing it $95 billion every every month. And so those two factors are really creating some liquidity issues, but we still haven't seen we still haven't seen huge huge layoffs. There have been some. They've been certainly you know grabbing in the news with Meta, eleven thousand, Amazon. But don't forget, a lot of those increases in employment came because of the pandemic. And companies such as Amazon, Amazon in 2019 had just under eight hundred thousand employees. They doubled that to 1.6 million today in 20. So the point is, and that's because the pandemic pushed lots of opportunities for revenue and profits into 21 and early 22 because everything died or came down heavily in, in, in during the pandemic. So some of that, they're now just right sizing the expansion that occurred after the pandemic. So- um, but unemployment still incredibly low. Um, very low, 3.7%. And Larry Summers, the economist, he, he believes unemployment's got to get to 6% for inflation to be tamed. So it's just a very, very but, interesting but, but, time. But, but don't forget, you know, that oil market, it was down to 75, 76 a couple of days ago, and all of a sudden uh, the, the Saudis panic and all of a sudden make another announcement Oh, Goldman Sachs made the announcement, I forget who made it, that, that there may be further cuts in Saudi Arabia, which because Saudi Arabia or and Putin $100 oil. By the way, let me add, John, cuts after the election. And by the way, Biden cuts out and says we're going to give indemnity to MBS with respect to Khashoggi. Was there a deal there? There was a deal there. Yeah, and, and what's sad that you've pointed out repeatedly, John, you know, we need that balanced approach. We have we have the most we have we are leading the world in energy production. Most people don't know that, both in natural gas and in oil. And well, they're the building Venezuela, a two million barrel a day. What was it? A, a, a port in terminal. A, a, a terminal two million on day, the right. Gulf Coast, on not Texas. for the United States citizens, for export for export. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think it was 2015 that we passed a law about exporting. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, one of the reasons oil prices are down, um, even though we're not producing anywhere near as much as we can, is economies globally are really slowing. China is really in trouble with the COVID outbreaks. And so you've read about, I'm sure, the Apple uh, factory and Zengzhou and others. So China's been the growth engine of the world. UK's in the recession. The EU's got problems. Uh, yep. yep. And, then, and then globally, Ed, globally, Ed, there's the demographic issue. You know, demographics are really, really a problem across the globe, especially in the EU. They're not, you know, they're, every country in Europe or the majority are ending up the year with fewer people than they started. We're, the more, you know, the, we're just not, fertility rate, we're just not at 2.1. 
So it's a real challenging time. And don't forget, you know, you go back to 82 when the market was really, you know, the interest rates were going crazy. The stock market from a measure that Warren Buffett uses was 50% of GDP. It's now 150, 160 of GDP, and it used to be 220 of GDP. That is breaking news. I just uh, saw that uh, CNN, uh, that headline news, HLN is headline news. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, will stop live programming next week amid shakeup at CNN. What does that mean? They're going to have repeat news from the week before? I have no idea, but it's called headline live news, HLN, and they're not going to have any more live programming. And they're also making massive cuts at the regular CNN. And an anchor, Robin Mead, you know who right. she is. She's out. There's a whole cluster of people going to walking papers. At and and, and the, the challenge is, if rates keep rising, the big question is, it's all tied to the Fed. If rates keep rising, are we heading into a recession? Are earnings going to start declining or you know slowing even more and declining for companies? That's really the question that everyone's asking. Look, rates have never gone. It's been 40 years since rates have gone up. Short-term rates have gone up this fast in this shorter period of time. Uh, and there's always a lag after the Fed forces up interest rates. And what do you think that lag is? And when do you think it cuts in? And when do we get that recession? You know, I would I would think, Ed, if inflation is, get, gets under control and the lag starts really taking effect, I would think in the next three to five months, it's going to start being visible in, in a lot of the numbers. But we've never experienced what you just said. It's 40 years since we've ever been in this kind of an environment where they've raised rates four times, 75 basis points, and probably in December, 50 basis points. It's a very, very unique um, and frightening time. My big concern, or one of my big concerns, is there's a bubble been created because they've kept rates too low too long. And everyone thinks they're going to pause. Everyone thinks they're going to pivot, and they're going to start, start, start declining um, or reducing the rates. And hopefully they won't do that because they really need to make sure that inflation's under control. And Powell said pretty much that um, in the meeting, in the conference that he spoke at on Wednesday. So hopefully they won't do that, because if they do that, that everything bubble is going to continue. Every time the market's gotten hit in the last decade or so, you know, it was a good time to buy, because the Fed steps in, rates go down. and But if they stay high, the credit problems out there, you saw today Blackstone just reduced redemptions in one of their real estate funds. We haven't seen defaults and credit issues yet. If those start, if rates stay elevated for a prolonged period, I think that's inevitable. And then that could really create problems. God help us. All right. Well, thank you so much, Paul Lunsis, for always keeping us informed. Thank you. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show in studio. Of course, John Katzmatidis, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, and Governor Patterson. And on the line for us right now, we have Andy McCarthy. He's a columnist for the National Review. He also served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Andy McCarthy. And Judge Weinberg, you had a Great question? To Great to be with you. Hi. Thank you, sir. Andy, you had two very interesting columns recently. One was the fact that the uh, verdict of the Oath Keepers case showed that this was a spontaneous riot at the Capitol. It wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't a deliberate, elaborate plot to take over the government. That was one. I like your comment on that. The second one is the fact of the double standard that if you had a, uh, a Democratic administration run with a Democratic vice president and president, they would be all over this issue about the influence peddling by the Biden family. Yeah, well, I, 
I, I appreciate both questions. I think on the uh, on the Oath Keepers case, the only way really to interpret the jury's verdicts, which acquitted three of the uh, people on the main charge of uh, seditious conspiracy, and even with the guy, the main guy who they got on seditious conspiracy, who was the head of the Oath Keepers, they found him not guilty of plotting to uh, interrupt or, or disrupt the count of uh, electoral votes. They, the jury obviously believed the defense that what happened while reprehensible was not an elaborate plan. Uh, and I think they were all properly found guilty of, of, of actually obstructing the count because that's what they did, but that doesn't require a plan. And I think that's really what they should have been charged with. And then I, I think, Judge, on the other point, uh, it's, it just seems I, I, I can use Trump as an example, but he's such a lightning rod. I, I prefer not to. So if you take Trump out of it and just say any Republican, uh, the same thing happened with that person as happened with the Biden family, which is that millions of dollars. Let's just take China. Millions and millions of dollars from China uh, came into the coffers of the of, of the Biden family it wasn't just Hunter Biden. I mean, they keep calling it the Hunter Biden investigation to trivialize it. Uh, but the fact is that the president himself is implicated in this from uh, the beginning of it. When Hunter goes to China on Air Force Two, when Biden is going over there on Obama administration business in order to solidify one deal. And then in the other deal, we the CEFC deal with China, where we actually have a witness, this guy, Tony Bobolinsky. Who, who explains that he had meetings with Joe Biden about the deal. We know that the Biden family got $6 million in that transaction. So I think if, it, if the shoe were on the other foot, Americans would be demanding to know what did China think it was buying. But and, and your point in the article, which I thought was very compelling, was does this raise a reasonable question? Has this influenced the policymaking by Biden administration? Yeah, well, I think that would be the only question we'd be asking, right? If it was, if it were not a Democrat uh, in the White House who the who the press was. So uh, Ed, Cox, Ed, and, Ed Cox here, Andy. Yeah, so how yeah, does Associated Press get off with saying, uh, yes, okay, it's authentic, the laptop's authentic, et cetera, but no connection with the president? I mean, th- they're supposed to be the authoritative source that's printed in papers all over the country. How do they get away with that? Yeah. Yeah, it's moronic for them to say that, too, because, I mean, if you kept the if you kept the laptop out of it, you would still have all the suspicious activity reports that showed millions of dollars going into the Biden family. But the laptop documents connections of Joe Biden to uh, the people who were uh, Hunter and James Biden's business partners again and again and again. So it's just, uh, you know, to say that there's no connection there. I'm not saying it's a criminal connection that hasn't been established, but I can tell you as somebody who had a security clearance in the United States government, anyone in the government who want, except for the president who wants to, who needs a security clearance has to fill out a very extensive form where you disclose, you have to disclose not only your own, but your close family members Every trip to a foreign country, every connection to a foreign country, every financial transaction involving people in a foreign country. And that's because the common experience of the intelligence community is the way that the United States becomes vulnerable to blackmail 
often involves a lot of money being paid to either the person or to close family members. So, you know, that's something that that is routinely taken into account. So what's happening in Delaware with the uh, with the U.S. attorney there? He's still looking into the into the Biden case. And but that's going on for years. Yeah, it's 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 gone on way too long. If it were, you know, I mean, with just the Hunter Biden stuff, that's very simple and straightforward. Uh, you know, you would think they could have made a decision, in, uh, you know, especially the false statement on the on the gun purchase that, you know, that would take you about five minutes to wrap your brain around. Right. So that's been going on for four years that they haven't brought charges. And I think it's unfortunate that we've fallen into the trap of calling it the Hunter Biden investigation, which is exactly um, what what the Democrats and their media friends want. Uh, they want the public to think about it like that, that the least important Biden in the in the Hunter Biden investigation that's, is Hunter. A- Andy, that's the setup to give him a plea on some minor charges. Say, look, we prosecuted. Right. Nobody is above yeah. the law. We got the kid. Game over. That's what that's about. Andy. Exactly right. Yep. The Justice Department will say we did it without fear or favor. Uh, Biden will run around saying he didn't interfere with the Justice Department when they, uh, you know, investigated his son. I, I've always predicted that they'll probably bring him in like Christmas Eve um, when nobody's paying any attention and take the plea. So now there's a special counsel appointed Jack uh, Jack Smith with respect to right. uh, to the president or former president. Uh, why not one with Hunter Biden? I mean, there's, yeah, there's talk about more, conflicts. That's a. That's a great question. I mean, it's a profound conflict with the, the Biden Justice Department having to investigate the Bidens. The, the uh, one that they came up with for Trump is a very theoretical yes. conflict. And frankly, it's all smoke and mirrors anyway, because first of all, Smith is exercising the president's power. You can't in, in the United States system, prosecutorial authority is executive. So you can't separate it from the administration anyway. And he still reports to the attorney general. So it doesn't really create the kind of uh, insulation or separation that they they say it does. And if you think that, um, uh, you know, if you think that uh, Jack Smith is going to indict Donald Trump without running it past Merrick Garland, um, I think there's a there's an attractive bridge down there where you guys are that uh, perhaps we could sell to you. <laughs> the, the t- tell us, going back to your first article about this uh, uh, conspiracy, seditious conspiracy. First time I've heard that. Uh, yeah. Apparently it came out of the Civil War. Uh, is, is this a, a, a something that has been revived that really doesn't uh, apply to the present situation? Yeah, I think it doesn't apply. I, I tried uh, one of the last big seditious conspiracy cases against uh, jihadists who blew up, who bombed the World Trade Center and then tried to bomb other New York City landmarks in the 90s. And that's a kind of a clean seditious conspiracy case. It, it, the word sedition does not actually appear in the charging language of the statute. The crime is. Oh, we lost some. Something, the call, it looks like it dropped. We, uh, we'll, we'll try to get Andy McCarthy back. By the way, I did want to talk to Andy McCarthy about Trump's meeting with Nick Fuentes and Kanye West. Kanye West, by the way, has really lost his mind. He was on Alex Jones' podcast, and he says that— well, well, Lost his mind. About- he, in that, in that dinner or whatever it was, 
he asked former President Trump to be his vice presidential candidate. But he's further lost his mind because on the Alex Jones podcast, he said that there were some good things about the Nazis. And so Trump has come out since that dinner and said he had no idea who Nick Fuentes was. He's had no idea he was a white supremacist. And now there's an unofficial policy where all of the people that meet with Trump will be vetted more properly. I, How Ed come Co- it took so long for Trump to make that statement? I, I That's a good question. And Ed Cox, do you think he could, could come back from this? Obviously, I do not believe President Trump is anti-Semitic. His daughter is Jewish. His grandchildren are Jewish. He greeted the embassy in Jerusalem. I mean, seriously, this is he's not the Abraham Accords, but can he come back but from the this? The question is, is he trying to please some constituency that he thinks is important to him? That's the issue. Right. And what do you think, uh, Governor Patterson? Uh, I think the less said about Kanye West, the better. And uh, and but for the former president, this is a, a kind of a pattern. It happened in in uh, Charlottesville, where at first he kind of doesn't say anything. Then a few days later, he says that um, it was really wasn't a good thing. And then he, he just kind of waters it down until it goes away. In this particular situation, I think he could have made it go away immediately just by saying, look, I didn't know the guy, and what he's talking about is absolutely appalling, and I'll never associate with myself with him or anyone like him. He never seems to make that strong statement that can shut it down. Back on the line with us, Andy McCarthy, and you're joining the conversation. We're talking about Trump's meeting with Nick Fuentes and Kanye West and that other guy, Milo. How do you say Yalonus? Whatever. What's his name? That guy's Yiannopoulos, whatever. I mean, it's so ridiculous. Do you think I mean, Trump is now saying he didn't know who Nick Fuentes was, that he wasn't a white supremacist. And in their short meeting they had together, he would have condemned any sort of statement. What do you think about this entire thing? Well, he knew who Kanye West was, right? Right. Uh, right. He paraded exactly. him into the Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> Got to be careful who your friends are. There are a lot of nice people down in Palm dogs, Beach. You, you lie with dogs, with. you wake up with fleas. <laughs> well, but yeah, it also just goes to, um, I hate to say this, but, you know, look, this is what the second term would be like if there were. I mean, I don't think there can be a second term because I don't think the former president can win a national election. But if he did, you know. He's not staffed now with excellent people like he had before who were, who would like uh, keep him on the straight and narrow. And he's making a lot of mistakes. And unfortunately, he's gotten himself into some legal hot water as well. I, I really wish um, he would say, you know, he had an excellent presidency up until the end. Uh, he did a lot of good for the country. Uh, he should, uh, you know, enjoy being a former president and. Uh, we all ought to move on. And it'd be better. I would like to see the Justice Department not go after him. I'd like to see him not go after the nomination, and we can all sort of move on with our lives. But you think the Justice Department will leave him alone, Andy? No, no, no. I think it's. I think it's only a matter of when. I don't think it's uh, if at this point. The president has indirectly said, as he does stuff with the Justice Department, that he wants uh, uh, Donald Trump indicted. Yeah, and I, look, I, I I think they think that the documents case from Mar-a-Lago, I think they think that's a strong case. I don't think they're going to be able to make a January 6th case on them, although that's their top agenda item. But I think they think they have the documents case in the bag, and it's just a matter of when they decide, when it's politically expedient for them to bring it. Right now, they are hoping that he has the, the chaotic effect, I think, on the Republican primary. And that's I think that's, what that's, the, game. Yeah. that's, that's the, the game. That's exactly the game. It, 
Yeah, they'll dangle it, but they won't do it. And then if he be, if there comes a point where he's not a viable candidate anymore, then they'll indict thank him. Thank you. Andy McCarthy, thank you so much. And uh, we're at the end of the show. And uh, uh, thank you, Ed Cox uh, and uh, Mr. Weinberg, Judge Weinberg and Governor Patterson and Lydia. And uh, the, for the record, I don't think uh, Donald Trump is anti-Semitic. No. And, and for the record, no, I think absolutely not. Uh, he could have been one of the best Fair presidents uh, uh, other than Ronald Reagan, if if he uh, stayed off Twitter, more. he stayed, stayed off, off of Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, well, that's the nicest <laughs> way we can say it. <laughs> and what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.